This episode of Policing Matters is sponsored by Utility Inc., the innovative technology-enabled service provider recognized for creating groundbreaking digital systems for frontline professions in effectively collecting, analyzing, and managing digital media evidence. Well, welcome back to Policing Matters. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, today we are special recording from the CPOA, the California Police Officers Association Conference here in San Diego, California. It's the Advanced Law Enforcement Premier Leadership Training, several outstanding breakouts. One of them, I had the privilege of listening to two sergeants from El Cajon PD right here in California, leading for resilience. And for me, it was especially gratifying to hear people talking about positive messages, about really good leadership styles and things we could do to build our own personal resilience and how supervisors can instill uh, resilience and leadership in their own people. So today I'm speaking with St- Sergeant Stephen Brakel and Sergeant Eric Thornton from El Cajon Police Department. And they're talking about resilience and uh, I'm going to let them explain to you why it was important and what they actually talked about today. Thanks for having us, Jim. Uh, we're happy to be here. I think the main takeaway from, from the presentation today is there are a lot of courses out there that focus on wellness, focus on uh, officer mental health, the severe impacts of trauma and, and PTSD nowadays on our profession. But most of those all put the responsibility strictly on the officer on the individual level. Here's what you need to do to take care of yourself. Uh, there aren't many that focus on the impact that leaders can have, and that's across all ranks. And so our main takeaway is that officer wellness needs to be treated just like any other uh, issue that pops up with an officer. If there's a report writing issue, the supervisor helps take care of it. If there's a building search issue, the supervisor helps take care of it. And if there's a trauma issue, the supervisor needs to help take care of it and have that responsibility for their team in a positive way to help them navigate through it, uh, eliminate some of the stigmas behind mental health issues and treatment to make sure we're able to last and survive through our whole careers. Yeah, those were all great points. And you talked about organizational stress, leadership within the organization, the results of stress. I really found it fascinating when you talked about burnout and cynicism and uh, authoritation, (laughs) authority, yeah, authoritative uh, leadership skills or or these things that we fall back on. Uh, Compassion fatigue um, was really something that I thought about in in how it relates to cynicism. And we saw a video yesterday that just showed this completely burned out officer and his reaction on camera to a citizen. It didn't look good. So you talked about in your presentation the seven C's of real resilient people before they get to that. Steve, would you take us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, through the research that Eric and I did, One, we came to acknowledge something that I don't think anyone will disagree with, and that's that a career in law enforcement, you're going to see traumatic uh, things, and you're you're going to be involved in potentially traumatic incidents. So we studied what can you do prior to the event uh, to help with the potential mental, negative mental aspects of 
going through that incident. And uh, the biggest that we found is uh, building resilience within your employees. And in um, studying resilience, we, we found that there are seven C's of resilient people. You start with, uh, with building competence. Um, which which starts the day we hire someone. We we begin building their competence in the law enforcement profession by sending them to the police academy, giving them four to six months with a field training officer, and then continuing with their competence building by giving them new challenges, making sure they're exposed to everything that they may face throughout their law enforcement career. As they build their competence and they start doing things, they're going to take a take a step and and uh, and walk away from their FTO and start handling scenes away from their sergeant, and they're going to build confidence. And that's the second C is confidence. And and as leaders, we need to take a step in building the confidence of our employees by encouraging them when they do things right, when they do things wrong, and or make a mistake that we. Uh, that we correct it, make sure they're not making the, the same mistake multiple times, but also being accepting of those mistakes so that they can grow from it. Um, through this leadership and hopefully at the same time team building that's going on, they're going to start feeling a connection, which is the third C of resilient. They're going to feel connected to their teammates. They're going to feel connected to their supervisor who they now know uh, cares for them. They, they trust their supervisor. They know that even if they do make a mistake, they're going to learn from it. Uh, their supervisor is going to help them fix it. And by learning from mistakes and growing from them, instead of hiding them because they're scared, they're going to start building their character, which is the fourth C of resilient people. Uh, people with character have a strong sense of self-worth. Their confidence uh, rooted in competence also leads to character as they have a strong sense of right and wrong and are prepared to make wise choices. Uh, they then begin to contribute to society, to the organization, uh, to, the, to where they work. They contribute outside of responding, simply responding to radio calls uh, or being reactive. They actually find ways to proactively contribute to bettering their community. Uh, through all of this, they're going to realize they have more control over their circumstances. The sixth C of resilient people is having control. Uh, they're able to control their actions. They're able to control their emotions. They're able to control their uh, ability to improve their community through their choices. And then all of these six put together will help them build coping skills. The seventh C of resilient people uh, is coping when they end up in the middle of that potentially traumatic incident um, through these other six C's of resilience, they now know how to cope. They feel confident that they know what to do. They're confident that they'll do it the right way. Uh, they feel connected with their teammates and, and their supervisors who's, who is with them. They have the character to make the right decision. They know that their contribution is improving their community. They have control to do things the correct way. And, through, and they'll be able to cope better with that potentially traumatic incident. Yeah, and all of these seem to funnel into emotional intelligence. And the two biggest C's seem to be, to me, uh, control and confidence. And they seem to go hand in hand. 
how do we build that in an officer who makes a mistake or maybe repeats a mistake? Uh, as a supervisor, what do you do? So I think as a supervisor, you have to understand that mistakes are, are going to happen and it's not a bad thing. Uh, if you have someone who makes mistakes and it's, we're not talking about critical mistakes, but little things here and there that pop up, if you're just hammering them over and over, they're not going to be willing to take those risks. They're not going to be willing to do that in the future. They're not going to be willing to try different things. Uh, they may start contacting their supervisor for every decision that comes up and try and get permission for it ahead of time. And then you don't have an effective employee. You don't have someone who's able to go out and think for themselves. Instead, they're deferring to the supervisor for everything. So you have to empower them. They have to be able to go out and make those mistakes and learn from them. Uh, they're mistakes that we've all made along the way, too. We have to remember that. The bonus side to that is we know how to fix it because we've been there. We've done the exact same things before, and we know how to help them navigate through some of those smaller mistakes. So encouraging them to accept that it's okay to make those mistakes. Yeah, and I mean, you bring up a great point that, you know, when we micromanage or we build these policies where every officer has to check in, we take away one of the greatest powers from police officers, and that's discretion. Right. I mean, if we didn't have discretion, the jails would be overflowing. Uh, we would be writing reports on every little thing. And now we're making line officers contact supervisors for everything. Uh, can we get this message up to the, the leadership and the policymakers? I certainly hope we can. Uh, one of the things we had talked about was decision making at the lowest level possible, uh, letting our team be the ones to choose their actions, uh, especially with, with peace officers. These are all people who've been through the academy and been through training and, and, and FTO program. And we trust them day in and day out with a gun. We're saying this is a lethal weapon and we are empowering you to make decisions with the intent of stopping the threat that could have severe consequences. Uh, nowadays, it could be nationwide depending on what happens. So if we trust them with a the gun, why can't we trust them to make other smaller correct decisions? Yeah, and, and to, to talk further on that, I mean, you, you really, whether you're an employee makes a mistake or whether an employee uh, is feeling micromanaged, uh, a leader has the ability to build or destroy confidence and confidence in, that, in those situations. You hammer your people and you micromanage them, you're destroying both their confidence and their confidence because now they feel they don't know what to do. They don't have the confidence to do it because you've always done it for them. Um, or you have the ability to build it by letting them make those decisions. And even if they do make a mistake, teach them how to correct it and how to fix it and show them that making mistakes is not the end of the world. All right. So you talk at, at some point, you talk about the four pathways. These are common with resilient people. Um, tell us about those. So the four pathways, these are something that supervisors, uh, leaders in law enforcement need to be aware of, uh, not just as it impacts them, but as it impacts their team and they, how they can help develop it. Uh, the pathways to resilience are really just mechanisms to help you get there and survive through a lot of the trauma. Uh, the first pathway is hardiness or grit. That's the ability to kind of power through when, when something difficult is happening to continue to work, to continue to do your job in the moment knowing that we can help after we can unpack some of those things and some of the nastiness that comes up, but it's the ability to not give up no matter how difficult that situation may be. The second pathway is self enhancement. 
Uh, it's going to sound a little bit weird, but it's a definition of it is overly positive or unrealistic self-serving biases about ourselves. And we're encouraging that. Uh, we want people to think highly of themselves. And we can have a tremendous impact on that as leaders, depending on what actions we take and are we awarding our team or rewarding them and acknowledging the, the hard work they're putting in, the good things they doing, they're doing. Are we only focusing on the negative and are we only reinforcing that? Uh, if we can get them to have walk that fine line between positive self-enhancement and going too far to the extreme of being narcissistic, control our team, make sure they don't get past that edge, but still believe in themselves. It helps reinforce the seven C's because that comes down to the, the competence and trusting in themselves to be able to, to get the work done. The third pathway is repressive coping, uh, which also has somewhat of a negative connotation. That's you're dealing with something traumatic. Uh, an example of when it's a benefit is if you're responding to an active shooter and the threat is still there and we're still engaged and going after it, you may have to bypass injured people without being able to help them. And that's our goal ultimately is to help the injured people, but we have to end the threat first to stop additional injuries. So we have to pack that down in the heat of the moment and push past some of these negative areas and repress that emotion, repress that trauma initially to go and get our job done and to be effective. But then afterwards, as leaders, we have to make sure our teams have the support system set up, including us as part of that support system, to be able to unpack all of that in a healthy manner through uh, clinical treatment and through uh, EMDR or other, other methods to do it healthy. Yeah, and I mean, you, you make me think about, you know, critical incidents and active shooters where we want officers to have the confidence to go in, engage the threat, but we want to avoid that Superman complex. And as San Francisco's own Dirty Harry said, man's got to know his own limitations, right? So you talk about hardiness, grit, self-enhancement, repressive coping, and having, what's the fourth? The positive... Yeah, the, the fourth is positive emotion and laughter, uh, something that I'm sure none of us are a stranger to. Uh, laughter has been shown in a lot of different research that it reduces stress. There's a lot of positives to humor. Uh, frequent experience of humor has been connected to less mood disturbance, lower depression rates. Uh, it's a visible and audible indication that an officer is responding well to emotional burdens of the job. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it comes with some negatives, uh, especially in today's world. Everyone has a cell phone. You cannot be trying to be funny or express your humor, um, you know, while you're at the scene. Generally, not while you're in public anywhere near a scene. Um, if it's related to victim trauma, it can certainly be misconstrued and it's inappropriate. Um, it can appear that we're making light of serious victimization. Um, today, ever since uh, body-worn cameras have come out, officers are concerned with recordings of humor. Um, and then, you know, and, and as officers deal with stress differently, it can actually, uh, they can actually offend each other. So, um, but it, but it is through all the research been found to be the most effective form of coping with stress and the, the strongest pathway to resilience. And in, in such, we as leaders need to find appropriate outlets for officers to express their humor in an appropriate manner 
in an appropriate setting, whether that's uh, during shift meetings, uh, preferably not after work at the bar every single night, and uh, but but in positive ways. Yeah, I mean, definitely internally and externally, uh, the public certainly doesn't appreciate it. Uh, in the past, it was the media catching us on camera, maybe seeing a, an old friend or recalling you know, a humorous situation, but you're standing outside maybe a multiple murder scene. So that was never a good look. And now with body-worn cameras, um, it can be a defense tool in, in some situations. I want to get more into that. I want to talk about leadership tools. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Utility provides a universe of intuitive solutions for effectively capturing, analyzing, managing, and sharing video evidence. Technologies include a variety of cameras, sensors, devices, as well as situational awareness software solutions for law enforcement, first responders, transportation agencies, and utility providers. To learn more about utility and its technology solutions, visit utility.com. That's U-T-I-L-I-T-Y. And we're back and we're at the CPOA conference talking with Sergeant Stephen Brakeall and Sergeant Eric Thornton on leading for resilience. And yeah, we're at the critical stage where we're talking about how first line leaders can impact resilience. What what can they do? What can um, sergeants, uh, supervisors do for their squads? So there's several different leadership styles. Uh, a lot of them are covered at any of the, the sergeant classes or SLI or, or just different leadership. Uh, it seems like some new leadership style pops up every couple of years when someone writes a new book and wants to, to get their system out there. Uh, ultimately, each leadership style can have a positive or negative impact uh, on the officers, and it can also have a positive or negative impact on resilience, and it all depends on what's going on. Uh, a couple of z- examples of that, an authoritative leadership style uh, or an autocratic leadership style, which is the same as authoritative but without necessarily the full chain of command structure, uh, where one person takes charge and delegates and kind of gives orders and tells everyone what to do. That's great during a high-risk incident, uh, an active shooter situation or a felony hot stop, something where we have to be on point and take care of our jobs and designate those roles. And that helps build resilience in our team by having a leader who can set that up and give everyone the commands of what to do. It could be negative, though, if we're back at the office now and maybe you're in a detective division and working on reports and the boss comes and gives you the authoritative of, you will write this warrant and then you will take this step and you need to call this person and it all needs to happen right now. Go make it make it so. Uh, and that would be negative towards resilience. Uh, a couple other leadership styles. We have a democratic leadership style. That's great when we have time. That leads towards uh, our committees and, and things where we can get everyone's input, make sure everyone's valued and heard. Uh, when we've got the time to do it, we can impact our resilience that way by making sure everyone has their say. Well, one of the keys with that, though, is to make sure it's not an emotional investment. If you have one person on this committee that is highly emotionally invested, uh, if we deviate from what that person is expecting, what that person is leading towards, it's going to devastate them. Uh, so we have to be careful with that and acknowledge what the committee is for and is there anybody who is overly invested in it in that manner that could lead towards a negative impact on the, the resilience of the committee. The uh, two more leadership styles I'd like to touch on, transformational and servant leadership, both can have a tremendous positive impact. Uh, situa- uh, I'm sorry, transformational 
leadership uh, creates resilience kind of as a side effect. While focusing on building up followers in other areas, uh, they end up getting built up in a more resilient manner as well. And with servant leadership, uh, that's where the leader is taking the steps that are best for the, the follower, for the employee, and understanding the impact will trickle outward from that. Uh, that leads to increased resilience because the followers know they can take action and there won't be any unfair repercussions. They know that they are empowered uh, to do what they need to do. And the leader, if they're making mistakes, they're still going to be held accountable for those mistakes, but they'll be viewed as learning actions and not as strictly a negative impact. Yeah. So going right back to the top about the autocratic, what's the hazard in specialization? We love having specialists, right? So we have eight or 10 officers who work for us. We know one can do great traffic uh, collision reports. Uh, they can measure by looking at a street, right? And looking at a skid. Uh, we know there are great DUI uh, officers. And as a supervisor, sometimes we want to keep leaning on those experts. But you, you talked in your presentation about challenging the people who work for you. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, what you know, when it goes back to the seven C's, we're we're building our competence and our confidence, and and obviously not just in one area. So we're trying to to build our uh, our officers in in all facets of, uh, of of policing, and not to say they all need to be experts in everything, uh, but they all need the basics of everything. So yeah, it, it can be uh, it can be a, you can end up with a negative impact if you consistently task each person with the exact same job, uh, then they won't be growing uh, and, you, and you won't be building that, uh, that competence in other core areas. So yeah, that, that is definitely something you have to, uh, to balance. Whereas there's certain times where in high risk, uh, situations or things need to be done right now, exactly correct. Um, then yeah, you're going to put your experts on it and, and worry about growing competence, um, on another, a, a less critical scene. Yeah, I appreciate your time. I want to wrap up with, again, about the, the roles and responsibilities of supervisors and the importance of modeling the behavior. Uh, do we do that enough? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think we have a golden opportunity now that we are being made more aware and more accepting of mental wellness as uh, an issue and as a focal point. We just have to push that onto our leadership as another hat that our leaders need to wear. And we have to accept that as leaders. We have to understand what we're getting into. It's not just the day-to-day -day activities of our team anymore because we're going to set them up for failure in the long run. They might be able to succeed at the immediate mission. They might be able to get their work done effectively, but what's the long-term impact going to be on them? So as leaders, we have to step into that role. We have to step into those uncomfortable conversations. We have to be willing to first build that connection with our team know all about them, know uh, their family and what's going on in their personal life so that when it's time for something, they're struggling with something, they know that we're going to be authentic and we have that ability to care for them and with them about what's going on and challenging, bringing up that conversation, not just passing in the hallway and saying, hey, how's it going? And them saying good and then that's it, but actually sitting down and checking in and see how it's really going, giving them that opportunity to voice what's truly going on, what's concerning them, what's impacting them and taking further steps 
if we need to, to help them through whatever it is that's happening. Yeah, and going back to servant leadership, and we talk about, um, you know, we've just gone through the millennials, right? The millennials uh, being cops. And now we're looking at the Gen Zers. Servant leadership seems to be right, right, right up their alley of what their expectations are. No? No, absolutely. And, and I'm sorry if anyone heard me and Eric chuckle. We're both millennials. <laughs> Um, but, but when you look at servant leadership, and, and a ton of research has so, shown that servant leadership is uh, a great leadership style for building resilience as a side effect uh, amongst all the other positive uh, aspects of servant leadership. And, uh, it, and I'm not going to say that being a servant leader is easy, but it's also not that difficult. There's 10 main characteristics of a servant leader. One is listening. I mean, there's there's no leadership training that won't tell you to sit down and listen to your people every now and then. There's empathy. You not only do you uh, have to understand how your people feel about what they're going through and what they're going. You've been there. You you do know already what they're going through. You went through it. You felt that before or something very similar. Uh, listen to them, be empathetic to them. That will lead to healing. The third characteristic of a servant leader, it'll naturally lead to them feeling better. Uh, not to say that you're going to heal all internal wounds that they have, but you're certainly going to be the first line of defense against a potentially traumatic injury. Uh, awareness is a fourth characteristic of a servant leader. Uh, know what's going on. Know what your people are going through, what they're doing, know what's going on in their home life. Uh, persuasion uh, is the fifth characteristic. Be, be able to, to be a leader and, and get them to uh, persuade them to do the right thing, persuade them to be better, persuade them to grow through those seven C's. Um, you know, and there's the, uh, the characteristics of servant leadership. Uh, there's there's several more that, that we could discuss, but uh, but the characteristics of servant leadership lead to more resilient uh, subordinates. That's great. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for your time. And I want uh, I know our listeners are going to want to know more. And you both wrote dissertations on the topic. Uh, how can our listeners find your work? Uh, so we, we each wrote a thesis. I haven't done the dissertation yet. That would be for the, the doctorate level. But uh, we each put a lot of research into it to write our thesis on, on similar topics. So uh, we can leave an email address. Is there a way we can link we'll that? We'll drop it notes. in the show notes. So take a look there if you want to reach out to either of us. Uh, and we're, just, we're here to help. We want to have this positive impact on our profession and leave that as a chance for everyone to trickle down into their organizations and make that impact as well. So reach out to us. That's great. Hey, thanks so much again. And I think your message, you talked to over 100 people today at the conference. I know I saw a lot of people interested, asking questions, taking notes. Uh, It's something we have to build in today's law enforcement group. Uh, Resiliency over, you know, being mired in in self-pity. I I think we've got to move forward. Uh, I think we're starting to see recruitment pick up a little bit. So I see good things ahead because of people like you. Thanks, Sergeant Stephen Brakehall, Sergeant uh, Eric Thornton. 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 Hey, uh, 
Let us know what you're thinking about today's podcast. Drop me a message at policingmatters at police1.com. Love to hear your comments. Love to hear what you'd like to hear about, who you'd like to hear from. And uh, we'll get back to you real soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. Stay safe and talk to you again real soon. I'm Jim Dudley.